let me have the opportunity to be rejected. That was my mantra. Let me get through that door. I'm one of the few guys I know when I moved to Hollywood, I never had to work another job. I, I worked very well commercially. I shot, I shot way over 100 commercials in my, year, my years in Hollywood before I got Hercules. And that enabled me to, to pay my rent, to pay for acting classes, to pay my gas, to pay my insurance, and, and, and have the time to go to auditions and, and work out and have a social life. I mean, I wasn't working 40, 60 hours a week as a waiter or a bartender or something. I was very fortunate, but I busted my butt to get to that point as well. I've learned so much over this first year of podcasting, and I wanted to share with you guys the 10 most life-changing lessons that I've learned this year. So I created a document, and it's on my website. What you're going to do, you're going to go there. It's going to be 10 life-changing lessons. Click on that button. It'll ask for your email address so I can email it to you. Sign up for it, because these life lessons radically changed the way I viewed my life and the way I started living. It helped me to get better in the areas that I've so desperately wanted to see progress and growth in. And because I know they helped me, I really believe that they will help you. And I wanted this to be a gift for you guys. So I really hope you enjoy this gift and go to the website, thewholepersonpodcast.com to get it. It's free. And I hope you guys enjoy and learn as much as I did from it. On today's show, we have a man who is half God, half man, and 100% legend. Today, we have Kevin Sorbo. Yes, the man who played Hercules from the 90s series sitcom, Hercules, the stories and the legends. Now, in 1993, Kevin emerged as a full-fledged international TV star when he was casted as the lead role of Hercules in a series of TV films that would lay the groundwork for the immensely popular series Hercules, The Legendary Journeys. Kevin has also starred guests in other episodes such as successful spinoffs like Xena, Princess Warrior, and other shows alike. He's also been lead role in Adromedon, and he's a director, he's a producer, he's an author, an all-around great human being. So I want to welcome to the show, Kevin Sorbo. Kevin, how are you? Good, good. You forgot to th throw in a director and producer as well. Did you say 94 or 93? We started filming in 93. Correct, 93. Yeah, we spun Xenoph in 95 and we spun Young Hercules, Hercules in 97. Trivia question, that show only lasted two years, but who played me as a teenager? Who played you as a teenager? I could not tell you. A 20-year-old skinny Ryan Gosling. Really? Yeah, <laughs> before his career took off. So that is Ryan, put me in a movie for crying out loud. That, that would be fun. Yeah, it, it's been a long... I was, I was young. I was young. I was born in 87. I, I know, dude. It's just scary. And I, so, you, yeah, I, I think of this now. And, you, you, yeah, you're in the age group I was when I filmed it. I shot it all through my 30s for seven years. And, uh, you know, finished 21 years ago, so you can do the math. But right. you got me all sweaty here. I, I, I kind of got carried away with my workout. And I went, oh, my gosh, it's almost, almost 3 o'clock Eastern time. So I ran down here. So I don't care. I'm still working out. And you people out there need to work out, too. If you want to stay healthy, get away from this COVID scare. Stay healthy. Take vitamin C, D, zinc. Get outside and work out for crying out loud. That's awesome. I love it. <laughs> hey, let's just jump right into it here. You've had a lot of success in your career. And I was curious... What are some of the lessons or intangibles that really contributed to your success as an actor? Okay. 
Well, I got I'm going to go back to my college years. Um, I, I usually caddy at this private country club. And I, I learned an incredibly valuable lesson there because all these guys, you know, I didn't have any money growing up. My dad was a school teacher. I'm the fourth of five kids. My, my clothes and my hand-me-downs for my brothers. I had my paper route for seven years. I got up at 430 in the morning, six days a week because my parents taught all of us hard work. And so um, when I started catting at this place, I asked all these guys, how do you become successful? Every single one of them said, I failed, Kevin. And then I failed again and I failed again. And I I get it. Failures are positive, but too many people give up. There's a lot of people don't have the drive that a lot of successful people have out there and they just give up. And then they blame you and me and everybody else for their problems. The reality is they got to look in the mirror, man. You want to have success in your life. You're going to have downfalls. There are going to be pitfalls. You know, nobody promised you an easy life on earth. So um, if you want to have success, it's going to get hard to get there, but work hard for it. You know, that's why you should follow your dreams. As corny as that sounds, you got to bust your butt to follow your dreams. No, absolutely. It, you know, I think as an entrepreneur myself and someone who's in business, you know, you also are an entrepreneur because you have your own film stuff that you produce, uh, you direct. And in the aspect of business, in the aspect of being an actor, we essentially are our own product. And so you've learned that at a very young age as an actor that you were your own product. So what what were some of the biggest lessons that you learned in developing yourself to become a better product and to make yourself more desirable to other people in industries? Well, you know, I have a double major in college. I marketing and advertising business, double business major. I minored in drama because I knew I wanted to be an actor since I was 11 years old. So I say I market and advertise myself. And I just say, I also exactly what you just said, that we are our own product. You are your own product as an actor. And yeah, it can be tough when most of the time you walk through that door to audition for a commercial or a movie or TV show and they reject you. There's a lot of rejection in, in this industry. And I use that as fuel for fire for me. I know I'm one of the few guys that moved out to Hollywood. I mean, I'm from a town of 7,000 people in Minnesota. I'm from a little, I'm a small town boy. And I just went out there, didn't know a soul. And um I just load up my old beat up car and just went and I, but I learned early to be aggressive and it's called show business, right? It's not called show show. It is a business and you got to push yourself through it. I remember my commercial acting uh, coach, my commercial agent one time said to me, cause I, you know, once I get to know people, they, Hey man, there's a great Coke commercial edition. We're, ber- we're both perfect for it. I'm going, are you going? We shared stuff. I had a good circle of friends that we would share stuff. And I call my agent, why am I not up for this? And he's like, Kevin, I got a hundred other clients. I said, I don't give a damn about your other clients. You think they care about me? Let me have the opportunity to be rejected. That was my mantra. Let me get through that door. I'm one of the few guys I know when I moved to Hollywood, I never had to work another job. I, I worked very well commercially. I shot, I shot way over a hundred commercials in my year, my years in Hollywood before I got Hercules. And that enabled me to, to pay my rent, to pay for acting class, to pay my gas, to pay my insurance and, and, and have the time to go to auditions and, and work out and have a social life. I mean, I wasn't working 40, 60 hours a week as a waiter or a bartender or something. I was very fortunate, but I busted my butt to get to that point as well. And um, you know, that sort of, I tell actors all the time, I said, if you're starting out, find an agent where I don't care if you're in Atlanta, Dallas, Chicago, wherever you are, find an agent. I grew up in Minneapolis. That's where I got my SAG card. Minneapolis, that's how I was the head, headquarters of Best Buy, Target, uh, 3M, Honeywell, Pillsbury, General Mills. There's so many things that were being shot there. So I got that all important Screen Actors Guild card during my college years. And that was a, an easy entrance, at least getting to Hollywood, because you know how tough it is to get that stupid card. You have to have it. But how do you get it? Well, you got to work. But if you don't got it, you can't work. It's weird. It's a weird way to get there. That's but you got to, yeah. So 
in in life we have roadblocks and setbacks and stuff like that. And one of the things is you you were kind of mentioning it. You know, a lot of people before they could get into acting, they had to be a waiter or a server or do something else where where your job wasn't just shooting commercials, but your long-term goal was to be in movies and in TV shows, but you used what you wanted to do to leverage into the next thing where people are using the wrong leverage. And so how did you go about deciding, you know what? No, I'm not going to take these other jobs. I'm not going to go searching for, you know, a, a bus boy or a waiter or a car salesman. I'm, I'm going after that, which will help me leverage into the further the career that I want. It's interesting. There's a guy that told me when I first started taking ski lessons, I, I started skiing late in life. I grew up in Minnesota. We had a lot of snow, but I hated the cold weather. I played basketball. But when I moved out west, I started getting involved in skiing. And I started on the bunny slope. Here was a, you know, an adult. And I said, dude, I got no ego. I'm happy to be out there with the three-year-olds. I just want to learn how to do this. And after three days, he said, okay, now go. Go on your own now. The ski instructor, he said, and put in the miles. Put in the miles. And it's miles for anything in your life. If you're learning guitar, you got to put in the miles the time, right? And I did that with, with, with acting. And commercial work was awesome for me because you're in front of a camera. Some commercials I talked in, some I did not. But you're there with producer, director, and all these people. You're on an actual set. Yeah, maybe a commercial, but people don't realize some of these commercials you see on TV, they run location for seven to 10 days filming a beer commercial, you know, working 12, 14 hour days just to sell a product over a series of 30 second commercials. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of work. And I'm not crying me a river. It was a great training ground for me because you're putting in those miles. And I got more and more talking commercials. And I started getting guest spots and cheers and murder, she wrote commission, things like that. And uh, getting more auditions. And I got, I got a, a lead in the pilot for the first time a couple years before I got Hercules. And that really opened the door for me in Hollywood because just getting a lead in a pilot, even though it didn't get picked up, it was, I think it was ABC pilot. Um, all of a sudden my name became a little more valuable for people saying, well, he did that and he was great in the pilot. They didn't pick it up, but let's bring him in because he's good for this role too. So um, I just say, get out there. And I don't care what city you live in. There's gotta be theater or acting classes somewhere near you. And if there isn't, then move to a place that wants you. Because if you want to be in this business, you have to commit to it. Don't be, get into it because you want to be famous. Get into it because you love the craft of acting, which I do. I'm still passionate about it. I still love it. Why did you decide that you wanted to continue in acting through this process because Hollywood kind of like, you know what, we don't like you because you're conservative and you're a Christian <laughs> and they just really kind of thumbed their nose at you. Oh, yeah. And you just kind of yeah. like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to fight back. So I, w- I would love to hear what was your process, that journey through, through that time? Well, number one, it was kind of shocking. You know, my manager, I was, I was with ICM, big, big agent for years and uh, a big, big manager. Um, she felt pretty bad about letting me go. I know that, but uh, she just said, I can't help you anymore. I can't get in some of these doors and studios because, oh, because he's a conservative or, you know, it was more, more conservative than Christian, you know? And so I, but I thought, uh, I, I was like, wow. I mean, you guys are the ones who scream for tolerance. We've heard about that forever. You know, Hollywood, you must be tolerant of this and tolerant of that and tolerant of us and you know, freedom of speech, but it's a one-way street. And it makes me sad. You know, I don't really care where people's, sexual orientation is or they're they're religious or non-religious or they're political that i don't care it doesn't affect my life but you look what's going on in the world right now and it's just accelerated on itself in the last 10 12 years it's just gotten worse and worse and worse but you know what i love the business i said okay fine i started doing independent movies and i've, I've shot over 60 movies through these years 
you know, there's a dozen that suck, but you don't go into thinking they're going to suck. But um, I've done some really good ones. And a lot of them I fell into, which I really like movies that have a positive message in their movie, movies about hope and faith and redemption and love and laughter, because there's so much anger out there right now. And it's getting worse. And we put movies out there that just sort of fuel the fire for that. And everything's just violent. And, and I don't know, I just said, you know what, and I'm not a prudent anyway, I just said, you know, I want to do movies that have a positive um, message. There's 80 million homes out there that want movies that they can take their kids to. And right. I get stopped all the time to say, hey, please make more movies like you're doing with God's Not Dead, What If, Soul Surfer, Let There Be Light. And, uh, you know, I'm saying, look, I'm working on it. I'm trying. But, uh, you know, the toughest thing is trying to raise money for these little movies. Right. Just, you know, you know, Hollywood, $300 million movies on Avengers and they spend $100 million promoting it. I do movies in the three to five million range and people think three to five million is a lot of money. Not making a movie. That's catering budget in Pirates of the Caribbean. So. Right. So, you know, in this process of you, you really were the it man in Hollywood for a period of time. And then. Yeah because of your conservative values and being ousted, you had, you had two choices. Mm-hmm. You could be stand true to your morals and values, or you could bend your knee and continue in the life of fame and celebrity and journey further into the it man. But you chose to stand for your morals and values. What kind of testicular fortitude did that take to literally just say, you know, I'm willing to give it up because it, it reminds me of Matthew 16, 26. If a man gains the whole world, but loses his own soul, what does it profit him? Like that, mm-hmm. that reminds me of you. Oh, I'm, I'm flattered. I, you know, it's my upbringing more than anything else. I have very strong parents, very religious parents. Uh, church was always part of my life. Um, I'm not a, a Bible banger kind of guy, but uh, I'm not, I'm not perfect by any means whatsoever, but I think my parents instilled a very, strong foundation of morality in all of us, all of five of us kids. And I just sort of carried that with me. I was never really a Hollywood guy. I was never a guy to, to kiss, you know, kiss butt. And I was never a guy to play that kind of game. I, I, I was just a hardworking guy, hardworking stiff um, that didn't cause any problems. I, I don't think you'll find anybody on any set of work with saying that, wow, he's a horrible guy to work with. He was a jerk because I don't, I keep a loose set. I keep a fun set. And, and you're right. There was gearing me up. I mean, I, I had seven years on Hercules. I had five years on Andromeda straight. So I had Hercules becomes the most watched show in the world. Andromeda was in Hercules, 176 countries, Herc 150. And uh, we we're the number one show in first run syndication. So I was cruising. And, uh, you know, that stuff just sort of got taken away. But I had uh, uh, my first big budget movie is still during the Hercules years. I did a movie called Call the Conquerors. My first big budget movie for for. Um, uh, it's Universal Studios. It was a prequel of Conan the Barbarian. And um, a month after that movie came out, um, I suffered a series of strokes. I had an aneurysm way up here in my shoulder that imploded on me. I knew I was having problems with my arm. I couldn't figure it out. Well, hundreds of clots went to my arm, but because where it was located so close to my neck, uh, four clots went to my brain and suffered four strokes. It took me three years to fully recover from that, learn how to walk and balance again. So it really... Um, to not to not die from that or be in a wheelchair the rest of my life, it was uh, it was a wake up call to me to say, you know, maybe I, I maybe I should start doing different things and other things. And it was, wasn't like 
Hercules always had good messages in it, you know, and, but I mean, it's, I don't know, it just opened a different door for me. And I became a lot more patient in my life than I was before. What was the recovery process like? I mean, I'm sure there was, it was a slow process in terms of spirituality. Cause I I was watching an interview where you said that it was the first time that you turned to God for faith. And I guess my question would be why, didn't you turn to God sooner in your life for faith? And what at that moment really made you like, okay, I need this now. Well, I, 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 like I, I, I've always had faith. I just never needed faith until this roadblock hit me. I had a lot of roadblocks in my life. You know, I'm a man of prayer. I mean, I tell people, you don't have to be a religious person to be praying, you know, praying. Don't, don't throw that on just on God. Um, you can just be in your car driving in the 405 traffic when you're going five miles an hour in six lanes. And you can say, you know what? I'm grateful that it's a sunny day. I'm grateful I got a car. I'm grateful I got a pillow to sleep on. I'm grateful I got hot water. Because we, we we take so much things for granted. And we just, we're so impatient in today's world. Everything's like six second attention span. So for me, it was, uh, it was, okay, this happened to me. And as my wife would say to me, whenever I got down a little bit, she says, Kevin, it did happen. What are you going to do about it? And it was like, wow, okay, what am I going to do about it? And I wrestled with God. Sure, I did. I wrestled with him. I said, you know, this sucks, man. My career was booming. It's taken off. Tell me about and, that. What, what difficult questions did, did you ask God that he answered? Well, I think, I think all of us go through that why me phase, you know? Here I was. It was like, boom, things were taken off. And um, this, this has this total large roadblock in front of me. What am I going to do? How am I going to get around this? And uh, I realized at, after, you know, the reason that I even survived this thing was because of God. And it was, a, I don't think God gave me strokes, but I think it became a warning to me that uh, maybe I was meant to go down a different road because one door closes, another door opens. A lot of times yeah. people don't realize that the door opens. You just have to not be afraid to walk through it. Fear holds people back. Look what we're doing now with COVID, right? They're using fear as a weapon to control all of our lives. For a virus that has a 99.7% recovery rate. It's insane what we're doing to the world right now. It's sad what we're doing. And I understand it's like, okay, a horrible flu season. But what does the flu affect? The flu affects people that are pre-existing conditions. People have weak immune systems. I see these seven-year-old kids wearing masks. I, I call that child abuse. This is crazy what we're doing right now. But fear is an amazing weapon and it holds so many people back. And that, mix, that mixes in with failure. Failure produces that fear. And then people go, well, maybe I'm not meant to do this or do that. And then they just give up and they settle. And then they become miserable because they settled in their life and they're not happy. I think that's what we're seeing played on our streets right now. I think if I'm going to do a psychological profile on these Antifa people and these guys attacking built buildings and rioting, I think a lot of these people have no Bible in their life. They have no love in their life or for themselves. They have uh, their anger only perpetuates itself and you become a deeper and darker black hole for them to live in. I mean, look, I can put two plus two equals four on Twitter and I'll get a dozen trolls saying, I hope you die. But they get to stay up on Twitter, get my account because I say, hey, this is what this doctor over here says about wearing masks. Can we listen to that? What do you guys think? And then Facebook takes me down. I'm like, what is going on in our country right now? I mean, we're turning into, uh, you know, Russia in 1940s and 50s. This is crazy. Mm. Yeah, no, you're 100% correct on (laughs) everything. You know, it really goes into the fact that we have two choices in life. We can live life by the flesh mm. and choosing to appease those appetites, or we can live life by the spirit and the fruit of God. And we have those choices. 
And just because we choose the spirit of God doesn't mean that the fleshly desires, the, the urges, the, the instincts, the, the desire just automatically goes away. But because of Jesus, we now have uh, an ability of grace to operate towards mm. the things of the spirit. So let me ask you in terms of your life, your process, everything that you're going through, how have you learned to choose to walk more towards the life of faith, peace, joy, love, kindness, goodness, the self-control, the fruits of the spirit versus walking towards the things of, of the flesh? That, you know, it really happened for me 11 years ago. Um, when Andromeda finished in 2005, I started doing more and more movies. Uh, but then in 2010, my friend Dallas Jenkins came to me. Dallas is now doing a series called The Chosen, which I highly recommend. It's wonderful. I that. And Dallas Jenkins is the uh, son of Jerry Jenkins, who is one of the co-authors, along with LaHaye, with the Left Behind series, which I got to throw in. I'm about to be starring in and directing the next Left Behind movie. We're filming in July and August of this year. And um, he gave me a script and I read it. He just wanted my opinion on it. I read it that night. I was, wow, this is awesome. I called him up and I said, hey, who's playing Pastor Ben? He names a couple of actors. I said, no, 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 I'm playing him. He goes, dude, I can't afford you. I said, I don't care. I said, this script is awesome. And it's the same writers that wrote that script that wrote God's Not Dead, which became a massive hit. What If is a bigger movie. And I hope people that have seen me in God's Not Dead, please go check out What If. I think Pure Flix just, they either didn't have the money to promote it or they just didn't have the right plan to promote it. They did such a better job with God's Not Dead. But What If, to me, I put it in my top five movies of, of the 64 I've shot. It's awesome. And that opened the door to me. I want to do more movies like that. That was really like, wow, that door just it burst open for me. And I said, this is the road I want to take. And these are the movies I want to do. I want to do movies like Blindside. You know, I don't necessarily want to preach to the choir. I just want to do a movie that, you know, people from the Blindside, that people of faith said, what a great Christian movie. You know, that Christian family in Texas took in that African-American kid that had nobody in his life and look at what happened. He went on to become, you know, an all pro football player. And then people at non-faith said, no, it's a great football movie, but they're great. Cause the message is still in there. Right. You know, I think one of the, one of the last five years, I think the best movie that when best picture out of Hollywood, because Hollywood gets it wrong 90% of the time is the green book. Green book is a fantastic story. And it's got a fantastic message in it too, without beating you over the head because uh, non-Christians or atheists, agnostics, they hate it when Christians come up and say, hey, man, you got to do this and you got to do that. Because I think one of the biggest um, mistakes we can make as Christians is to think that we're holier than thou, that we're better, because that's the impression they get, certainly from the media and the movies and television, because they paint us that way. But there's a lot of times that we can be the least forgiving and we need to be the most forgiving because none of us are perfect. How do we as Christians change because right now, culture is affected by Hollywood. Oh, yeah. So, and, and it frustrates the living hell out of me. Yeah. Because there's so much crap that I just like, I, 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 I can't, I don't, I don't desire to watch it. So how do we as Christians help shift culture and entertainment? I need some brilliant guy out there, because that's not me, to come up with an app that reaches out to every religious leader whether it's a synagogue or a church or a, what, I don't care what it is. Uh, I need somebody that can reach out to every religious leader that we have. And the people like myself that do movies that are fun, filled with redemption and hope and love and laughter, we give it to them. And then they tell their congregation, this movie opens on this weekend. 
buy every single ticket for the entire weekend. Because trust me, AMC, these guys don't care what's in their theaters. They want to sell popcorn and sodas. And if the movie doesn't do well opening weekend, it's gone. And we don't have $100 million like the Avengers does to advertise and put a trailer in every football and basketball game. We need word of mouth. And the only way that can happen is if we get the word out through the people that want these kind of movies. I do, I did, I have a movie called Let There Be Light. If you haven't seen it, please see it. It's a wonderful movie streaming on Amazon. I did 130 interviews over three weeks from television to radio to whatever, whatever I could do to promote that movie. And it did pretty well, but we only had a million dollars in PA. That doesn't go very far, but we were able to get the thing to 800 screens. And it would have got more if we had more money behind it. But it's a wonderful movie. But how do you get it out there to get to 2,000 screens, like all these big budgets, 3,000 screens? We need stronger word of mouth. And that's the only way it can happen for us. Because uh, these are great movies with great scripts and great storylines. They'll make you laugh. They'll make you cry. They'll make you have hope. And, and these are what I want to keep doing because I see it through the fans that stop me through airports and hotel lobbies. They don't, that's not, Hey, Hercules or Andromeda, Captain Dale Hunt. They say, please make more movies like this. And I, I know I said that, but I got to keep saying it. People want this product. When let there be light came out and opened number two per screen average against Thor Ragnarok, a $300 million movie. I got a call from Netflix on Monday mm. and Netflix said, Hey, we see that you have a strong foot in this inspirational world. We want to open inspirational division here at Netflix. I had three meetings with them in their, in their, uh, their studio, their, their, their offices in Hollywood over about a five-week span. I gave them I have amazing scripts for TV and movies. And here we are two years later and still haven't pulled the trigger. I can call them anytime. I've got the number of about 15 people there. And they're very nice to return my calls. But it's weird with the ideology there. They just can't get their head around it. And I told them, I said, look, with 80 million homes out there that want this, why don't we do these kind of movies? I'm not talking sappy stuff. I'm not talking touched by an angel, which will never probably get made again, because in this world, it won't happen. I, I'm talking about faith-based movies that are more like a punch by an angel. Okay. So um, why don't you want to do these things? You can laugh all the way to the bank for us silly Christians that want to see this, but even Hollywood is so entrenched in their ideology now and divide that we have that it's so hard to get these things made. And I, Netflix, if you're out there, anybody, please, Let's just give it a go. I mean, what's wrong with putting movies out there that have a positive message? And you 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 hit it when you said it reminded me of a Walt Disney. Um, he said back in the 50s, movies and television will influence our youth in a negative or positive way. And he was right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I like yeah. to end the show with the same three questions. First question being, in terms of negative self-talk that we all struggle with, what do you currently struggle with? Um, my golf handicap, it's getting very frustrating for me right now. <laughs> um, I'm a good golfer and they go through these stages of being horrible. Um, um, I think uh, I, I struggle with now. With, I, I used to have, it's, it's patience right now. I mean, I've got some amazing scripts and I, I get, I keep meeting funders over and over again. I play, I do golf because a celebrity thing. I've golfed with very wealthy people very, in the charity events. And these are, these are billionaire conservative guys. And they say, what you say, we need more movies with a positive message. And I go, well, I got it. I mean, I'm not going to name names because people out there will know who these people are. But, you know, when you're worth $10 billion, I said, you can write me a check for $3 million. It would be like me writing you a check for $3,000. That's the difference in our net worth. And to me, it's like, why wouldn't you do that when not only would you get 10% back on your money, 
You would own 50% of a movie that will be out there forever. They'll spend $9 million on a, on a campaign for somebody to run for governor, run for president, whatever, that doesn't get elected. And what did that $9 million get you? Absolutely nothing. Right. It, Andrew Breitbart said politics is downstream from culture. Who runs the culture? Hollywood does. The media does. So we need to fight that culture, that negative culture with positive stuff. So I keep scratching my head saying, okay, in God's time. Okay, but I'm getting impatient with in God's time. So God, come on. We're trying to do good things down here in a crazy time. What brings you peace? Um, my family does. You know, my kids. I mean, I, I, got, I got married late in life. So I, mean, I got married at 38. So my, my kids are now 19, 17, and 15. We're homeschoolers. My wife's a homeschool advocate. She's more out there than I am when she had a radio show for many years. Um, she still does one. Like, she's not does what she's doing, what you're doing now. Um, but she's a homeschool advocate. She does a lot of speaking around the country. She's got a book out there called They're Your Kids. We know how bad our public education system is, and we're certainly finding out now with COVID when right. teachers are telling teachers, tell your parents to leave the room while I don't do anything to teach you something good. So um, the, the school system is broken, and I, I, I encourage parents to uh, take their kids out of schools and find a university that's good. Go to Liberty University or something. Go to Hillcrest. Do not. Or Roberts uh, University. Yeah, our university system is horrible. It's just horrible. It's in, when I was in college, my math teacher taught math. My economics teacher taught economics. They weren't telling you how to vote or what not to believe in. So it's weird. And then last question, what's the best decision you've ever made? Um, oh, gosh, because I think there's so many with that that I could say. I mean, um, number one, finally to get married because I was such a bachelor all those years. Um, to really follow my dreams. I was, I was 11 years old. And I told my parents after I saw The Merchant of Venice at the Guthrie Theater in Minneapolis, uh, being Shakespeare, me being 11, I didn't know what the hell they were saying, but I was totally, totally enamored. And I, the seed was thoroughly planted and I went, wow, that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna be an actor. And um, my parents didn't encourage or discourage. They just, my mom just said, that's nice, dear. You know, I thought it was just a little 11 year old kid talking, but um, I love what I do. I love, I love, I love being on the set. I love, um, you know, being around creative people. Uh, it's, it's just fun. You know, I, I tell people all the time, I said, if you had a bird's eye view of a set, um, just before, just before action and, uh, after action, it's like, it's like creative chaos. Uh, yeah. Cause once, once there's and action, boom, then everybody settles in and the scene happens and cut. And then everybody's hair is running around, lighting guys around, but it's just, I love it. I get goosebumps. On. I still love being on a set. It's just a blast. Kevin, thank you so much. Where can people follow you? Um, they go to kevinsorbo.net is a great place to go. Also go to sorbofamilyfilmstudios.com, sorbofamilyfilmstudios.com. Kevinsorbo.net has a list of all the movies. You can go to IMDb page, of course, and see what's coming up. But please, at Sorbo Family Film Studios, leave your information, well, email. We'll let you know what's happening. I got a movie out right now called The Girl Who Believes in Miracles. It's in its fourth week. I have another one coming out in uh, July called One Nation Under God. I've got one I directed with uh, John Ratzenberger and um, Lou Gossett Jr. called Miracle in East Texas, True Story Set in 1930. And uh, I'm also about to take off for Oklahoma. I'm shooting the uh, Reagan movie. Dennis Quaid's playing around Reagan. Right. I'm playing his pastor. Uh, Guthrie, Oklahoma. Okay. Do you need any extras? Because I don't right. live too far away from there. Oh, is that right? Seriously. I got, I got your information. Let me Let me talk to him. All right. Perfect. I know they got a big scene coming up that I'm not in, but I know they need like a hundred, hundred extras. Or something. Yeah, I'd love to, to help. Oh, that's funny. Sure. Evan, thank you so much. And right. uh, we'll talk to you soon. When I started this podcast, it was important for me to lead by example. 
that I wouldn't hide behind a fake mask acting like I've arrived and speaking from the mountaintop. My whole purpose was to be vulnerable about where I was, my failures, my struggles, and my successes so that I could be a bridge, that I could be a gap in this process of showing people how to change in the areas of faith, family, finances, friendship, fitness, and fun, because that's exactly where I'm at and what I'm doing. And I had a coach years ago, and he was the first coach I've ever had. And he did it for a very affordable rate because I couldn't afford anything more than what he offered me. But he told me this, Evan, someday you're gonna get in a spot where you're gonna be able to give back to others. And I want you to remember what I'm doing for you here and now that it's made affordable so that you can actually go through it. He goes, I believe in you and I trust that you'll do this. And so because of that, it resonated within me that at a certain point when I felt I've had enough hard knocks that I had something to offer other people, I would start a coaching program. And this is that. I am now starting a coaching program and I'm gonna make it affordable because by the graces of someone else that helped me out when I was first starting my journey, I wanted to do the same for other people. So I'm gonna offer a free 15 minute coaching phone call to anyone that wants it. You can go to the website, thewholepersonpodcast.com and sign up for that free coaching phone call. And if you're looking to have a longer extended coaching relationship outside of that first 15 minute phone call, I have the prices right up front, I'm open about it. And I'd be more than happy to see if we'd work well with one another and can help you reach and achieve the goals that you have in life. Guys, thank you so much. I hope you enjoy the show.